You're listening to The Unspeakable Podcast with Megan Daum, now on Podcast One. Hi, I'm Frank. I don't like change. And I just saw a billboard for this new BJ's Wholesale Club talking about up to 25% off grocery store prices. Oh, really? What's wrong with paying full price, huh? No, sir. I would not join BJ's Wholesale Club. Let's agree to disagree, Frank. Say you do want to sign up now to get a $40 BJ's digital gift card. Join the new BJ's Wholesale Club, opening soon in Ross Township. Visit BJ's.com slash Ross Township or the BJ's Membership Center at the Block Northway. Offer valid for a limited time. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. RCA's local inpatient and outpatient programs are founded on science and delivered with heart from an expert caring team who will inspire and guide you every step of the way. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now to speak with a treatment advisor. At RCA, you'll be in a community that builds connections and fosters support from peers and RCA's team of medical professionals and recovery support specialists. At RCA's state-of-the-art campus in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, they tailor your treatment to you and also offer specialized programs like PRIZE, a unique program for people who have been in recovery but have relapsed. Here, you won't have to start from step one. You'll build off the knowledge you've previously acquired in treatment and focus on the areas of your recovery that need improvement. RCA answers the phone and accepts patients 24-7 and is in network with most major insurance providers. Don't wait. Call 1-888-RECOVERY today. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. I wouldn't call them a movement because there's nothing, there's no common goal binding them together. They don't have any kind of uh, political agenda. Their whole ideology, if you can call it that, um, it's all about that there's nothing you can do will change your lot in life. So there is no mission. Welcome to the Unspeakable Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Daum. My guest, whose voice you just heard, is Nama Cates. She is the host of a podcast called Incel. That's a term that stands for involuntary celibate. In this episode, we talk about this label and about the phenomenon that surrounds it. But before we get to that, because I think we may have some new listeners of late, I want to say a couple of things. And the first is that you can listen to this show without ads right now by going to patreon.com slash the unspeakable and joining at any level. You'll also get early access to the show as well as lots of other perks, including the opportunity to participate in online hangouts. Uh, we recently did one that was open to the public and it was a huge success though also maybe a little too huge, which is why I have announced a Patreons-only hangout for September 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern time. It'll probably go on for about an hour and a half, and we'll talk about the show, including recent episodes with Sam Harris and Chelsea Handler, the latter of which has generated some criticism from listeners that I didn't push back harder at some of her political points, which were perhaps not as nuanced as we're accustomed to around here. I'm going to talk about my thought process around that and we'll just see where the conversation goes. Um, I suspect it will also turn to the subject of this episode, the subject of incels. The idea that there is a movement of angry, alienated young men who channel their frustrations about not being able to get a date into extreme misogyny online and even acts of violent terrorism in the real world has become something of an accepted truth over the last decade or so. 
But if you scratch beneath the surface, it becomes clear pretty quickly that it's not as simple or even really as dark as all that. My guest, Nama Cates, goes way beneath the surface in her podcast, Incel. She talks to men who are caught up in this subculture. She studies the instances of public violence that have been linked to that culture. So she spoke with me about who these young men really are, what forces are shaping them, and what factors so often go overlooked in favor of tidy narratives about male ideologues. We also talk about the concept of hypergamy, which has come up on this show before, as well as some parallels she sees between incels and people on the extreme fringes of social justice ideology, a comparison that never crossed my mind, amazingly. Nama Cates, welcome to the Unspeakable Podcast. Great to be here. I am so excited to talk with you because this topic is one of those that I've been wanting to discuss if only I could find the exact right person to do it. Um, I think you could probably say that 90% of the discussion around this topic is misleading and inadequate, willfully so even. Um, and it was actually a listener of this podcast that, that recommended you to me. So, um, I just am delighted to, to have you here. And uh, I think we're going to cover a lot of fascinating ground. So um, why don't we just start by talking about what an incel is? It stands for involuntary celibate, but it's so much more than that. Correct. Um, well, the definition of incel beyond just the words it stands for um, and what an incel is, is something that kind of varies and I think is kind of an important one with this topic because, you know, as you, you probably know, and we're going to address, there's been a lot of talk in the last few years about um, incels and terrorism and, and sort of making that uh, connection. But um, an incel by, you know, categorical definition is just an involuntary celibate. It's someone, usually um, a young man, though, that ages range and there's some dispute about whether women can be incel or not. Um, so a, a person, but generally a man, a younger man who cannot have sexual or romantic relationships despite desiring them. If you go by that definition, a lot of people can yeah, be that's incels. A, um, uh, at any given time. Yes. Exactly. Think, uh, at and, the stage everybody goes through, yes. possibly more than once. Right. Um, during quarantine, a lot of people were probably in cell um, for a while. Um, but yeah, so that's the kind of categorical definition, their criteria for being in cell, the, you know, the in-groups definition of it. Um, and then I would say the next degree is just someone that um, is aware of that designation and sort of self-identifies that way as an incel. Um, that's more what we talk about as people that are aware of the term and ergo also kind of aware of maybe active in some of the online culture that exists um, for incels. And I would say that the, the subculture of it is an interesting one. It's what drew me to the topic. Um, and, you know, people have a lot of things to say about that too. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's kind of incels the way a lot of people think about them. The subculture is very shocking. There's a lot of very misogynistic rhetoric and um, just, uh, you know, 
there's a lot of provocative talk. Yeah. Ship hosting, yeah. edgelording. Um, right. All- so to just kind of like focus in on this a little bit. So there are a lot of people young men uh, and others, but let's just say there are a lot of young men who would be, who would, or older men, anybody. There's a lot of men of any age who would qualify as incels. And then we kind of, you know, the, the scope gets narrower and narrower as we start to talk about this as a, as a social phenomenon. So in, in, in terms of like how this comes up in the media, in the news, we are talking about a particular group of men who have kind of framed their celibacy in really angry, misogynistic, and occasionally violent terms. So talk about how that just sort of particular piece of this arose. So that um, that's the insult ideology, which some people refer to. And I don't know if we can really call it that, but they have something that's akin to an ideology that's called the black pill. And right. the black pill is um, sort of a derivative of the, the red pill, red pill, blue pill. Okay. And we might need to uh, explain to our listeners what the red pill and blue pill means. Sure. If, if any of them are blissfully unfamiliar with the terms. Yes. If they are blissfully ignorant of the terms, that means they are probably blue pilled and okay. <laughs> they should be happy to be that way. Um, yeah. So the red pill and the blue pill come from the movie, the matrix. Um, it's a scene where the protagonist Neo is given a choice, take the blue pill and remain in kind of blissful ignorance, um, believing in a just world or take the red pill and learn the harsh, ugly truths of life and of humanity in the matrix movie. It was some scenario about being a brain in a jar in a matrix. Um, (laughs) different groups have others, uh, you know, other, other ways that they would describe the world. And we see these terms, uh, I think the first usage of them in this sense came about something like 10 years ago on social media somewhere, maybe oh. Reddit. Yeah. Um, now kind of most recently and most notably maybe being co-opted and used by the alt-right and the far right and the manosphere, which is this kind of umbrella right. term of, uh, the manosphere, yes. we should say. So M-A-N-O-sphere. Yes, exactly. The sphere of men. Now, I just want to make, I just want to clarify something about the red pill, because my understanding was that if you took the red pill, the conceit was that you saw the world as it really is. I didn't know that it was like that you saw the, the dark underbelly of everything per se. So was I having a little bit too of a, too, too rosy a view of the, of the red pill? <laughs> um, no, I think you're, you're right. That is, it is the world as, as it is. Um, when we get to the black pill, that's a very dark place. Um, and I think even red pill kind of usages of it, which are used in these, alt-right adjacent male supremacist groups, as they are called um, by DHS and and others, Um, like MGTOW, Men Going Their Own Way, the Men's Rights Movement, and, you know, you kind of fit incels in there. Mm -hmm. But um, the red pill used in that context tends to be kind of uh, unpleasant. Um, It's very misogynistic, you know, but it's not... the way a lot of people think sort of just that people are primitive and, and primal and everything that 
we do. Is- okay. I mean, there's a lot of evolutionary psychology yes, stuff that comes up in the red pill, which again, I mean, it's frustrating because evolutionary psychology does have its uses and it's one of these, these disciplines fields that's been weaponized and yes. wa- watered watered down yes. into um, uselessness and worse. So, okay. <laughs> but, but, okay. But, but going back to the black pill. Okay. So we have the red pill, the blue pill. This is established as the, as this kind of conceit. So the black pill means uh, that you are a, a an unhappy man and what? So the black pill, where, whereas the red pill says um, women are superficial, they're locusts, they're attracted to these kinds of qualities for these maybe not so um, appealing reasons or kind of... They only want hot, masculine, manly men. Right. That's they're very, the idea, right? Um, yes. they're also very sort of Wealthy. hung up on hot men. <laughs> and, and status and yes. status. Yes. Right. Looks, money, status is their right. uh, acronym for it. Um, so the red pill says that that's the way it is, but you can do these things. You can act the certain way. You can have gain. You can treat women this way and then they will be attracted to you. Most of this is about, you know, attracting women. Surprise, surprise. Uh, Wait, I'm sorry. The black, sorry, the red pill says that or the black pill says that? The red pill says that. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah, the red pill, which makes sense for kind of the alt-right machismo type groups and also things like pickup artists um, that are red pilled. They would say that, you know, you can work on your game and the black pill would say that, no, this is the way it is. There's nothing you can do about it. All of these tricks don't work. You just have to accept your lot in life, which is basically that you are a low tier man. Uh, you are reviled and unwanted and you are doomed to a life of wage slaving or being alone or beta buxing, which maybe. What does that mean? <laughs> so beta buxing is a, uh, their term for uh, achieving ascension, which is their word, video, very video game sort of word to get out of insult them is to ascend. Um, and that's, you know, to have a, a sexual relationship. And one way that you can do it is to beta bucks, which is to earn enough money that you as a beta male can attract a woman, but she'll never be attracted to you. She'll always, you know, be dreaming about Chad, their word for the attractive man, um, and fantasizing about him cheating on you and just basically with you for your money. So this is beta bucks. Okay. Are there like um, high profile billionaire types that are sort of um, idolized and put in this category? No, they're not emblematic. Okay. So, but it's not, so we're not talking about like Jeff Bezos or something. Not that Jeff Bezos is not attractive. (laughs) Like would would they have some particular heroes in this category? uh, Well, none of them would be heroes because it's not a dignified thing to do. Okay. Okay. And you don't end up happy, but they would definitely say that Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates and some others are beta bucks. Well, okay. So you're describing this extremely bleak, outlook about the world and about oneself. I mean, just at first thought, I would think, well, these guys are depressed. This mm-hmm. is These are people who have profoundly low self-esteem. Yes. Extreme depression, mm-hmm. um, need, n- need therapy, yep. need psychological health, help, need, have, have mental health issues. Yes. Uh, quite likely. So, uh, but this has sort of coalesced into a movement and they see themselves as part of like a sort of larger mission. That's not true. Um, that's, I would say, something that is, you know, expressed very inaccurately. I think maybe also deliberately, um, and sometimes not. Uh, but 
They don't actually, I wouldn't call them a movement because there's nothing, there's no common goal binding them together. They don't have any kind of uh, political agenda. Their whole ideology, if you can call it that, um, it's all about that there's nothing you can do will change your lot in life. So there is no mission and there is no goal. Um, The few attacks that have been associated with incels, um, you know, in some cases, I think wrongly or just kind of sloppily um, are, you know, there's, there's the first one that we can, uh, talk about yeah so so let's just okay so these men are just they're they're online they're being really cranky to put it nicely in- incredibly misogynist just saying really ugly vile things about women because they hate women because they, they do, feel that but, they've been rejected by them but right. this is this was sort of happening kind of on its own exactly just sort of sort of chatter online you know basically not hurting anybody and then what happened there was an event uh where somebody committed a violent act and this was suddenly associated with this person being an incel? Yes. So that happened in 2014. Um, in May of 2014 in Isla Vista, you know, near Santa Barbara by this also 22 year old named Elliot Roger, who had a lot of mental health issues. Uh, he had sort of a cocktail of disorders that I find common to these types of killers Um, and, you know, he went on kind of a downward spiral. He was a a privileged kid going to school in Santa Barbara and he dropped out and he was depressed and he wrote this, um, well, he committed a a heinous uh, mass, uh, stabbing and shooting, uh, beginning with his, his roommates. Yeah. He was a college student. We should say this was at UC Santa Barbara. Yeah. He had dropped out. He had dropped out you know, close to a, a year before, but he was still living there. I think his parents didn't know he dropped out. Uh, so yeah, he was a former student of the school. Um, and yeah, he just committed this attack. He stabbed his roommates and then went on and kind of shot um, into the street, this popular bar, kind of college bar street and killed seven people and then himself. Um, and he had written a manifesto that was like 150 pages long, uh, something about, you know, my, my dark twisted world or life. And he made YouTube videos talking about what he was going to do the day of retribution and how he had considered himself the supreme gentleman and kind of talking in this very affected voice about, uh, you know, how, how dare women reject me and don't they see how great I am. He just cast this very, uh, you know, almost like a literary villain. And he had spent a little bit of time in, um, online on websites that were kind of proto incel forums. Um, so there was one called puahate.com. And that was PUA. Oh, pickup artist. Yes, exactly. Very good. (laughs) Thank you. That's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so he spent a little time on that site and a subreddit called forever alone, which still exists, um, where a lot of incels had gone to, but these weren't incel sites and he actually didn't really like them that much. He had told his parents about them and, you know, he didn't spend that much time there. He never used the word incel in his manifesto. 
And the link was kind of made by the media as time went on and turned into this big story. Right. Okay. Because I remember at that time, uh, I remember how immediately the narrative was that this was, this killing was just further proof that we're, we're in a woman hating culture. And I think the, the yes, the hashtag. Yes, all women. Was that going around at that time? I feel like, like, yes, all women, what? Get mass, get killed in mass shootings? I don't know. (laughs) Right. Some Um, of these hashtags. (laughs) Right. Uh, But yeah, I I remember being really frustrated by that framing because it was obviously just, it was like shoehorned in to the story. And it was, it was such a, you know, this person clearly had a a whole bunch of issues that were really his own. Yes. Uh, But it was so convenient to, to sort of see it as a larger sort of social phenomenon. Right. I I think it was one journalist that kind of made that connection and then everyone bandwagoned on, um, you know, regardless of how, and that's impressive that you noted that at that time because not many people. Well, I wrote a column about it. I remember it because I was right. I wrote a LA times column about it at the time. And I would, and I made this point and a lot of people got really angry with me. Uh, A lot of women, a lot of women were mad at me because I was, um, well, they, I was always, people were always mad at me about my column, but, uh, yeah, uh, they really were like, no, this is, this is not the time for you to be diminishing the, the plight of women. Yes. And apparently it still isn't the time seven years later to be doing that. And it's never been the time at any point in between. Well, so at this, okay. At that time, were the quote unquote incels online, were they applauding this? Like how were they receiving this in the Reddit forums and wherever else they were? So incels um, have a, you know, internet culture a 4chan kind of culture that, um, I also get a lot of flack for, for saying this and people telling me that I'm like apologizing for the speech, but I'm not. If you spend some time around it, you understand that there's just a weird sort of humor and it's a dark humor that um, incels have in their community. And it's not just there. It There's a lot of kind of young online people have this, especially males, you know, who might've been gamers might have spent time in 4chan, might have been, uh, you know, budding hackers or something and kind of in that world. Um, it was a really big thing and it influenced a lot of the internet now, really, the way that I see it. Um, and that culture, 4chan, you know, it was this image sharing board started in 2005 and it was completely anonymous. So there were no accounts. So everybody would just say whatever and it would just flow without being, yeah, there were incels on there. There was a lot of very politically incorrect, I guess, kind of a weak term for it, but politically shocking or counter to the mainstream speech on there. It was just the culture of the place and it is the culture of the incel community. And so people knowing this is provocative, knowing that journalists are reading this and that academics are, you know, scraping their forums for word analysis projects that they're doing. They say things like, you know, Saint, uh, they refer to Elliot Rogers as Saint Elliot. And, you know, they have other little terms like this go ER and everyone just kind of says them ironically. It's this sort of, uh, cynical humor. So I wouldn't say that anybody was, actually celebrating it 
Um, but maybe they were talking like they were and people thought that that was in poor taste and it is. Um, that sort of led to the, you know, their first subreddit being banned and this whole chain of events where they are continually being sort of censored and shut out of spaces. And I don't know, being, I feel like just this whole phenomenon is being focused on in a way that I think is just going to make it bigger than it is, frankly. Right. Well, it reminds me of after the Columbine shooting, there was this whole idea of the trench coat mafia. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember that. So that was, that immediately was the narrative that these two kids had uh, committed this mass shooting because there was some kind of like little subculture or click in the school. Maybe it was just the two of them. Yeah. Where, where, yeah. Where they were like, you know, these kind of like faux villains wearing uh-huh. trench coats or like plotting to blow up the school or something like that. And, and that, that narrative went on for years yeah. around okay. that story. I that. Ridiculous. And, yeah. And actually there's a great book um, by Dave Cullen called Columbine. That's the name of the book. And uh, it, it really de- debunked the whole thing. It explained that, that there was never a trench coat mafia. Um, it was really this, it, it was, the one kid um, was kind of the, you know, had sort of goaded the other one into mm-hmm. going along with it. And it was just a very banal story. Yeah. Actually tragic and banal. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So this, this, this impulse to kind of um, have a, have a layer of, of sort of social phenomenon over something that's otherwise just a simple, terrible tragedy it seems to be irresistible. So what are, what would you say would be the next event where there was a violent act and, and the incel uh, piece came up? So um, the, the next actual, uh, you know, event, um, the one that I would say actually is, you know, one of the attacks that I would say I could connect more with incel anything. Um, but for some reason it's not a, popular one <laughs> for the fans. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding about for that. the insults <laughs> for the insults. Okay. Yes. For, and for the people, you know, true crime buffs and, you know, terrorism researchers that are interested in, in these things. Um, it was just a year later in Oregon um, at a college campus also. And that was Chris Harper Mercer. And he had left a manifesto too, but it wasn't, online or anything. So there's only kind of hearsay about, you know, what was in it, but he talked about this thing called, uh, uh, either beta uprising or incel rebellion. I forget who said, which that was the next one. And then there were a few more kind of here and there after that small ones, ones that aren't very, uh, you know, tightly connected to anything to do with incel. And these were shootings. These were shootings of Multiple people, kind Mostly of thing. mass shootings. That, yeah, there were a couple that didn't meet the standard for mass shooting, which is four people other than the killer. So there were like a couple of those. And one odd stabbing in Canada, I think. There have been a few of those. Um, but until 2018, with the Alec Manassian the Toronto vehicle ramming, um, that was really big. That was... Okay, so what happened in that case? So that was a very strange case um, where this 26-year-old, 25-year-old who had been like a, maybe he was in computers and he'd been in college, he 
done a little time in the military, which is always an interesting detail. And I think either first generation Armenian or um, possibly even moved as a, as a kid, uh, it was very quiet. And there's kind of, you know, un- unlike the others, almost all of the others, there aren't publicly known um, sort of red flags that had happened before, like mental health interventions or anything um, like there were with some of the others, though he did have um, many mental health issues and he was on autism spectrum as they almost all of them are uh, of the killers. And I don't say that to be stigmatizing. It's just a fact. And I think an important one to consider if we're going to approach this, these issues properly. Um, Anyway, he one day um, put up, supposedly put up a, a message on Facebook saying something about the incel rebellion, rented a van and drove it into a crowd of people on a Saturday afternoon in like a shopping district and killed 10 people. And he screamed after the cops got to the scene, he screamed that he had a gun and to, to kill him. And uh, the cop on the scene could tell that he was bluffing. He saw that it wasn't a gun and he, uh, you know, arrested him. And this was 2018 and he was just sentenced to trial, just finished this past March. Um, and that was a, a very interesting case for a lot of reasons, but I don't know how much <laughs> time I should. Spend. Well, why was there so much time between the event and the sentencing? Oh, uh, that's kind of just typical for, um, So he's been in jail. He's been in jail this whole time. Yeah, he was in jail the whole time. And then there was also COVID. So I think it got pushed back a little bit, but there were a lot of, uh, you know, uh, continuances. So the, the idea that like the incels have lionized these killers is really a myth. Is that what you're saying? Completely. Completely. Yeah. Okay. That's not how it happens. If you actually look at any of the individual cases, you can clearly see, I mean, Manassian's an example. Um, he had a fascination with mass shooters from the time he was like 10 years old. And um, it doesn't seem that he really knew anything about incels for maybe six months before it happened. Um, when I heard his interrogation, he said things about, uh, talking to Elliot Roger and this other one, Chris Harper Mercer directly, which I could tell were, were lies. And it was just very odd. And the judge made a great ruling uh, in the case where she said that she um, deliberately was going to not even consider the whole incel angle uh, because she believes that this man um, sort of just talked about it in order to increase his, his notoriety. And mm-hmm. I think she was right. So okay. there's a lot okay. of, a lot of, you know, stuff like that where it just doesn't. Um, and beyond that, there's nothing in the black pill or in the communities where if you actually know how to sort of read them, anyone's ever really calling for violence at all. Mm. Okay. It's, that's amazing because it really did become a huge media story. I mean, am I hallucinating like that this was on the cover of time magazine or something or like, you know, or some equivalent. I, I can just. There was uh, a New York like, magazine that had an incel story on the cover. 
Right. Well, I actually, there was, there was a New York Magazine story that I want to talk to you about because it was about um, men plastic getting surgery. plastic surgery, yeah. which was fascinating. Yes. Uh, so I want to get into sort of the psychology of these guys, uh, just just apart from the, the, you know, these these isolated violent Ooh. events. But so, okay, so let's, you know, we're talking because you have a podcast and you have been talking to people about this issue, people who identify as incels or sort of fit that, fit that categorization. Um, who would you say these guys are? Why have they emerged? Have they emerged because social media has allowed them to kind of find each other? Or have they always been around? Like, what do you make of this just in terms of like the historical arc? Well, I think that Guys like this have always been around. Absolutely. Um, there's a, a, a game I've played a couple times on the, on the show where, uh, I've been asked to think of incels in literature and that's always a fun one. A lot mm. of Dostoevsky goes in there, some James Joyce, um, and, and others. So yes, there, I think there've always been incels and I think, um, before social media and the internet and uh, this strange identitarian time that we're living in as well. Um, they were just late bloomers or, um, you know, maybe awkward or strange or nerds or something like that, you know, and uh, they didn't really talk about it with, uh, with each other that much. Um, it's kind of always like a shameful thing for young men if they can't uh, get laid, basically. Right. Well, like the whole 40-year-old virgin thing. Yeah. I mean, that movie, did that movie come out before the coinage of incel? Like, that was just, it was considered a joke. Like, this person was a fool. Yeah. He would make fun of somebody like this. Yeah. Yeah, completely. But he was harmless. They were harmless. Yes, exactly. By definition. Right. Yeah. Sometimes I almost think that some of them maybe would embrace this boogeyman label just because they'd rather be dangerous than harmless nerds, you know? And yeah, it's another reason I don't think it's great to constantly make that, um, you know, right. characterize them that way. But, um, yeah, I, I think they've always kind of existed, but in the last, I would say five years, really 10 years to five years, um, they've developed this club and it's become a subculture and, and a, you know, a thing. Um, and I think that there are a lot of reasons for that. And I think a lot of them are technology related, you know, whether they're first order, second order, or third order effects of technology and social media. Um, I think a lot of, a lot of it has to do with that because of the way that people can connect and form these strange communities and also because I think that social media makes people more disconnected from each other and everyone's kind of like their own publicist and, you know, sending mm. out a curated version of their life, face-tuned, photoshopped right. version of their life where it looks like everybody's like sexy and out with friends and having fun. Um, and so people who aren't feel more left out as a result. And then, I think dating apps also where people can only judge each other, at least initially on like a tiny 2d, you know, Photoshopped image of themselves. Right. Um, 
And I, I think a lot of these things have led to a more sexualized culture at the same time, uh, less actually connected culture. Um, and then you throw in some of the politics of, you know, how we think about young straight men as opposed to everyone else and a very polarized society concerned and about fascism. Are they, <laughs> is, is this the place where I ask you if they are mostly white men? Yes, it is. I, I would have said it if you didn't. Um, there is certainly uh, depicted as disaffected, you know, white men who live in their mother's basements. Um, but the community uh, is actually about half non-white, um, according to very, very well done polls of, you know, one of their biggest spaces. Um, and, and then that's also, you know, they also did nationality there and considering that most of them are from the United States or rather North America or Europe, the fact that it's 50, 50, uh, white probably. And what are the other ethnicities represented? Um, the others are pretty much, you know, a, a mix. I, I don't remember exactly, but there's, um, Latino and African American, Asian, you know, East Asian. Okay. They have a bunch of other categories. So that's interesting. So would there be as many African Americans as Asians? No. <laughs> for instance? No. So this is like, okay, again, I'm going to be really reductive here. Is this like a nerd thing? Yes. The, are these guys, okay, so they're like disproportionately gamers into yes. computers. Yes. Um, there's an autism spectrum element. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. And is there a class thing? Like, do we see people who are really poor? Like, are there guys, are there white guys in Appalachia there, sitting around are, doing this? Yeah, less, you know, not many, um, but I wouldn't think that there would be many because of all kinds of factors, access to the internet and time to spend doing such things. You know, you have right. to be at least uh, somewhat close to lower middle class. Um, but there definitely are people from, I mean, some of the guys I've had on my show are definitely, you know, like working poor families and have really horrifying upbringings. Um, I would say the majority are probably pretty middle class, at least the way they describe themselves. Okay. So one of the things that really, really interests me about this phenomenon is the way it kind of graphs onto the the rise of women, the role that feminism plays in all of this. Because, you know, one thing, and we've talked about this on the show before, but the kind of um, article of faith now about the empowerment of women and the rise of the women's movement was that it was great for women and high status men. Mm -hmm. But there were a lot of men of lower status, we're just going to use that term broadly, who before the women's movement, there would have been women for them to date. They, mm -hmm. they would be living in their community. Maybe they weren't the best looking. Maybe they didn't have the best job. They weren't the best educated, maybe not even the brightest, but there would be some woman for them mm -hmm. and people would partner. Mm -hmm. So now there's this, because women have been empowered, they don't. They can have their own job. They're not economically dependent right. on men, right? So it used to be that, like, if you if you were a woman, you really didn't have any choice. You had to find somebody because uh, yes. you weren't going to survive otherwise. So now that that's been taken off the table, women 
can be a lot choosier. And there's this idea of hypergamy, Mm -hmm. which is this evolutionary principle that pushes women to seek mates above their status. So how does this dynamic play into the incel phenomenon? Well, they talk about this all the time. Um, They talk about everything that you just said, hypergamy, you know, women's kind of agency, although some of them take hypergamy to mean that women are um, sort of ever on the lookout for the next higher. Right. They're so cartoonish. Like everything gets taken to this really hyperbolic, right. Like, you know, so women, as if women are only looking for billionaires or something. right? Right. And as if they just keep going, as if there is no actual, you know, love or getting to know someone or they're going to cheat on whoever it is with a richer guy. Yes. Yes. (laughs) You know, that's one thing I said to them jokingly before is like, you know, you think that we really have a lot of time to just be, you know, fucking Chad. (laughs) I don't think that most of them really believe that, but they, um, they like to repeat it and kind of, um, you know, the younger ones, may actually believe it, but for most of them, it's just a strange kind of, I I really, it's hard to understand what exactly they get from, um, you know, sharing these, dropping these black pills, as they say. Um, I I don't always know what it is that they get from just kind of, but I guess if you are very um, kind of high on some idea, then even just repeating it is rewarding in some way. Well, and it's an excuse for their own inability to find a partner. I mean, it's very easy when yeah. you are when you are being rejected or you're having trouble in any given marketplace, particularly a dating marketplace. It's very easy to fall into like, oh, I mean, women do this all the time. Men mm-hmm. only want one thing, or he's intimidated yeah. by me, or I, you know, that I can't yes. get a boyfriend because I'm such a high earner, and these guys they don't they want they would rather date a kindergarten teacher that's not to throw shade on kindergarten (laughs) teachers, but just as a, let's just use that mystically. Yeah. So (laughs) I think it's sort of a a natural human impulse. So, well, I want to, I want to delve more into this kind of gender dynamic and just the way that, that women have, have really made enormous strides in the last several decades um, in a way that has thrown off the, the dating economy or at least changed it. But before we get into that, I want to know what your background is. I want to hear how you got involved with this. I mean, it's it's ironic that I'm talking to a woman about <laughs> this this <laughs> this phenomenon among men, but I I also think that it's you're 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 uniquely positioned to to look at this uh, objectively, but you also obviously have a lot of compassion. So so how did you fall into this uh area of interest? So, um, I'm asked that question all the time, obviously, uh, because it's kind of a strange thing to do, I think, or I would be the first to say, um, especially considering my background, but I don't really have a neat story yet. At least I don't, if there's something in there, some symbolism that I'm not yet recognizing, maybe it'll come as for now. I don't know. I I come from basically like a media background. I was an actress for a long time. Um, you know, with, uh, everything that goes along with that, I will say it's not, I wouldn't recommend that profession to many people. There's very little actual acting involved and it's just, um, 
I didn't like it very much. And I went into other film stuff, kind of behind the scenes, uh, writing and producing. And um, I've done music and ad copy and all kinds of things in media for the last, I don't know how many years. It's hard to say. I've always been interested in strange things, you know, true crime and war and terrorism and uh, cults and psychology. I guess probably um, many people are now if podcast downloads are any indicator. That's kind of a very popular. Yeah, I think there's something about the cult. People are obsessed with watching other people in cults because it makes them feel better about themselves that yeah. they're not in a cult. I, it's just, just like the schadenfreude. It's like, wow, well, I'm not that gullible. Yes. <laughs> I would never fall for that. <laughs> But I can't stop watching this. Yeah. As they're, you know, filling out their paperwork for, uh, right. What's one of those juices? Multi-level marketing uh, scheme. Yeah. Lila Rowe. Lila Rowe. (laughs) So, okay. So, so, so I was kind of interested in this genre. Yeah. Um, and I had just finished, um, making a film from start to finish making, um, it was a, good experience. I did some of it at an artist residency in Finland. I shot it there, but, um, film is like very expensive and it requires so much work and so much, you know, time with people. And I'm not really that much of an extrovert. Um, I'm also not that visually inclined, which is a problem for film, which I realized, you know, later on. And I was listening to a lot of podcasts, a lot of true crime ones, uh, at the same time, the term incel made its way onto my radar somehow. This was like 2016 or 17. And, um, and as I was listening to podcasts and thinking about incels, I had a happenstance sort of encounter with one online. And we started talking and um, I asked if I could record our calls and he agreed and I did. And I how, did you, how did you... What was the impetus from your encounter? No, was he trolling Mm -hmm. you or what was the initial communication? It was very, I really didn't know what it was about that, um, you know, I had just become active on Twitter for some reason at the time. And, uh, this youngish seeming man who seemed to have a YouTube channel commented on some of my things and then chatted back and forth a few times and asked if I wanted to talk on the phone. And I assumed that it was a, work-related thing just because it was way too young to even, I I don't know. I just really thought that that's probably what it was because he had a YouTube channel. We started speaking. It was a very awkward, stilted conversation. And at some point I was just like, sorry, but what's the purpose of this call? And he was kind of like, what do you mean? And, And I was like, well, you know, is there like a project? Because if it's a romantic thing, I'm not available and I'm not interested and he was so horrified and indignant that I had asked him that, um, that I asked him at one point, you know, as he was saying all these things, like, are you, would you call yourself an incel? And he said, yes. And I thought, well, this is a sign from the content creation gods that I am meant to do something about incels. And okay. we, we spoke, he would call pretty frequently. He was, um, I think 20 years old at the time. And I didn't understand why he wanted to keep talking to me, but I was 
maybe thinking that some kind of crazy thing would happen in the story and I'd have this great podcast. I was already thinking about that, obviously. Um, and, and it didn't, and he wanted to talk a lot and he was very difficult to talk to. Um, he would get angry a lot and, and that's when, you know, after a, a couple months of that, I kind of put together a treatment for this incel podcast and I did not end up using any of the recordings with him. And I, I never will. Um, was he very misogynistic? Like what, oh, if he's an incel, I'm surprised he's even talking to you. Well, that's how a lot of them are, isn't it? Um, a lot of them do talk to me, even though they're incels. Um, and this one, they're very lonely and they're not as misogynistic. They're not, a lot of them aren't actually misogynistic in the way that I would define it. You know, it's kind of the way that people define racism now. Like even if the person saying something has no thoughts of, uh, you know, any kind of thoughts about a person's race has no animosity toward them, doesn't see them as lesser, isn't even thinking about their race at all. Um, but they say something that is somehow been associated with something derogatory towards some community or other. It's, it is still racism, you know, because the ignorance isn't an excuse. So I feel like this could kind of apply to a lot of these young men too. They say hideous things. The words they use are awful. Um, they have no idea what they're talking about and they don't really mean it that much either. And when you say, like, they say hideous things, I mean, mm. I'm not trying to get you to say something hideous here, but just so people get a sense, because I think people still might not be quite grasping this. It's it's stuff about women's bodies a lot of the time, right? Like, what? how would you sort of characterize it? Yeah, I mean, sometimes it will just be very generic, kind of like, there's one that they say, good morning, I hate women, things like oh, that. Oh, okay. Well, that's okay. <laughs> that's really not going to They call women... Uh, Foids, you know, femoid or foid, which some um, PhD candidate somewhere wrote about how that was uh, dehumanizing uh, to the point that it, it could lead to violence by using a term like that, which oh, wow. I don't know if I agree with. Uh, <laughs> but what do I know? Anything's possible in academia. Exactly. Oh. It really is. As long as it fits your one zone uh, confirmation bias then it's possible. Um, and yeah, sometimes they, they will talk about, uh, this is stuff that's more kind of popular in some other manosphere areas like MGTOW, um, where the men are a little bit older. Um, yeah. MGTOW just again, I think in case a few people don't know right. is M M G T O W, which stands for men going their own way. And this is like, they have sworn off dating and relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with with anybody or so, because I feel like some of these guys end up sort of doing like the um what we used to call the mail order bride kind of thing oh, or is yeah. that is that its own category? Well, I don't think they get as crazy about the you know the tears and the labels in MGTOW as they do over on incels because it's kind of a different typology. So I'm sure some of them do do that. Um, mostly they're just saying you know that they'll never give their heart. I mean, the way that I read it, the way that I think it is, is they'll never give their heart to a woman again. And most of these are older men. A lot of them are divorced. Um, mm, yeah, really bitter. I mean, there's a lot really of stuff that comes bitter. up around custody fights and divorce yes. settlements. And yes. 
family court, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, bias laws in, being in the favor yes. of yes, very much tilted toward women, which again is something that is shocking, I think, to a lot of progressives uh, yeah. and, and feminists. But um, that's that's a conversation for another time. But yeah. okay, so yes, Mikau, uh, if you've taken away nothing from this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, is uh, men going their own way? Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, the crowning jewel of this whole conversation, MGTOW. <laughs> what a great acronym, too. Yeah, it just really t- rolls off the tongue. Yes. So these, well, I was going to say something pejorative. I won't. Um, but this group, yeah, that they're older. And, and to me, this just screams of like heartbreak and, and bitterness and just a very personal sort of these people are just kind of heartbroken. And I see this with a certain kind of uh, feminist group too, where you can tell that there's just something happened there. So that's MGTOW. Mm -hmm. They talk more about um, things like how women are selfish and, you know, greedy and. uh, We'll we'll ruin you. We'll bankrupt you. Yes. Financially uh, destroy you. Yes. Cuck you. Um, Right. Right. meaning sexually humiliate you. Uh, so this word is used a lot. Uh, cuck. It's also yes. by the alt-right. Um, yeah. Cucked and, and being a cuck. And From cuckold. Yes. If, exactly. if any of them even know know that, I think no, suspect most of them don't know most the, of them don't, yeah. the origin of that word. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Though a lot of the incels probably do because they like Well, because like they're <laughs> kind of smarties. Yeah, some yeah. of them. Okay. So, all right. So... So when you're having these conversations, so you, you start the podcast, what was the, what was your premise or what were you trying to sort of learn something really big or was this just kind of um, having, having random discussions and just for your own kind of interests? Like what was the sort of goal of the project? Well, I was hoping um, that there would be a deus ex machina kind of event at some point around episode seven or eight. And I could end it with a bang like serial. I think I was hoping that that would happen. Um, I, I did intend for it to be more kind of structured and have a little bit more of a narrative arc to it. Um, I don't Were you know. talking to one person in particular or a whole well, bunch of people? That's the thing. When, when I wrote the treatment for it, I was planning to, I didn't know how many I would talk to. I didn't know, you know, what kind of conversations I would have, or really, I didn't know anything about what the process would be like, but, um, I imagined maybe talking to one person and seeing some change in them that would happen for what reason? I don't know. Um, but you know, that's kind of what I was imagining. And then, um, then, the first episode that I worked kind of so meticulously over probably like six weeks or so. Um, I released that and the reaction to it was very, it, it got a lot of attention and stuff, but it also got a lot of really negative uh, comments and Twitter stuff that I hadn't really experienced before. Um, and, and I was like, Oh, you know, I think I need to, do this weekly and just keep going as long as people are interested. Uh, so I kind of did that for a while and it took me a lot of places I didn't anticipate. 
This is Walk-In's Welcome with Bridget Pettisey. I love hearing people's stories of resilience and grit. This is why I created this podcast. We are very excited to welcome Jim Gaffigan, Yasmin Mohammed, Glenn Beck, Tim Dillon, Abigail Schreier, Jeff Garland, Ayan Hirsi-Ali, Sam Harris, Heather Hying, Jonah Goldberg, Ben Shapiro, Glenn Greenwald, Sarah Shahi, Colin Quinn. If there's a culture of victimhood, then let's tell stories of grit and survival. Subscribe and listen now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe you've covered this on the podcast and I dismissed it, but I mean, I'm kind of interested in this question of whether, and maybe it's just my question that I dreamt up, but like, I mean, these jihadis are, they're kind of incels, are they not? I mean, I think the pool of, Potential recruits is very similar in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're not having, I mean, I don't, I can't speak for every one of them, but like they're not having sex no, for, ideolo- for ideological reasons, but yes. like they're not, it's there, it, it is, there is a little bit of a they, similarity of vol cells because they're voluntarily right. celibate, but, but it know. is a religious, it's, it's a religious dictate that yes. is keeping them from it. And so. It's voluntary, but in their minds, it's also not. Anyway, I don't want, I don't want to draw too many parallels here, but it is, it is kind of fascinating that yeah. this kind of organization and this kind of, um, sort of fascination with violence might be coming from men in particular kinds of personal situations. Yes, of course. Um, it, it definitely does. And there's a lot of interest now in profiles of all of these. Uh, you know, people that get drawn to movements or communities like this. And there are a lot of things they have in common. I think that, you know, that's pretty obvious sometimes just sort of on its face when you think about um, jihadists or, uh, you know, white supremacists would be the other big example. I've heard you use the, uh, I think you coined the term, Social justice extremists, right? Well, I try not to say social justice warrior because yes. I think it's dismissive, and I don't, I don't like to, to, I don't like to say woke, even though that is right. a word that rolls off the tongue quite satisfyingly. So it's hard to avoid. But yes, it yeah, is. so so social justice extremists, yeah. Well, oh, that's interesting. So you think some of the sort of hyper hyper progressive, you know, yeah. what we might call SJW types are are in Sully. Oh, wow. I never thought about that because they also have this whole sort of sex positive sort of ethos. Yeah. But there are some characterological similarities, I would say, not even necessarily just in Sully, but like all of these, not that they're in Sully so much as all of these groups have some things in common. Um, and it is kind of like a, a nerdy type that becomes, um, really. Into well, they're not team. on the football team. No, that's for no. sure. <laughs> that okay, but oh, that is this is so interesting because I had actually not thought about this. So it because that so the the people you know okay if we're just going to be making stereotypes you know the people with the blue hair and the green hair um, shouting about uh, you know every kind of phobia and ism on Twitter those are sort of. They, they do have shared characteristics, you're saying. Yeah. They're not, 
they're not like uh, getting laid all over town, I guess. But I, nobody does anymore. Though, no, so that's true. Nobody does. And that's why everybody has to join one of these strange movements. Like, I, I feel like, you know, these are just like scene kids and they're either in the Antifa club or just the SJE, social justice extremists, or they're over <laughs> there with the neo-Nazis or they're with the incels or they're with, you know, ISIS gotta be someone and, and none of and there is uh, there is just a sort of lack of sexual activity in their lives mm-hmm. but that's but then it's funny because with with the social justice extremists they have created identity categories based on sexual attraction yes. or sexual orientation yes. so they have like these very fine slices of identity uh, that are sort of, you know, what, what used to be just thought of as taste. Right. Exactly. This is an identity. And to me, there's something like, you know, this is based on absolutely nothing, but just something very unsexy about the whole thing where it doesn't seem like, I don't feel like a ton of actual real sexual energy around that whole scene. Right. Right. But that's, I feel like that's a little bit to the side. I mean, this is fascinating, but just so we can focus this, like, so the guy, okay. So the guys that you were talking to for your show, for your podcast, are they able to articulate the kind of, um, the sort of social and political aspect of this, that they, if, if it were perhaps 50 years ago, that they might not be without a girlfriend because they might be living in a small town and oh, there yeah. might be a girl from the small town who was sort of, you know, equivalent in terms of attractiveness and all the rest. And they would partner up and, mm-hmm. you know, have a, have a, you know, quasi, quasi miserable uh, life together with yes. uh, a handful of kids. And that would be that. Yes, exactly. You know, all I want is my looks match kind of, Thing. Oh, yes. looks match. That's, yes, looks that's match. what they say. Oh, yes. okay. <laughs> um, and um, a lot of them can and do articulate this ad nauseum, ad infinitum. Mm-hmm. And they think that girls are not entirely who, wrong. <laughs> but they think that girls who are their looks, they think that they are ugly. Yes. And actually, a lot of them are not. And I want to get into that yes. also. There's incredible amount of dysmorphia going yes. on here. But yes. okay, so they let's just say they think they're ugly. And so their looks match would be a girl who is, quote unquote, ugly. But they think that that girl is dating hot guys or trying to. And is she? I mean, no, she's she's really not at all. Uh, this is where it goes totally off the rails. Um but they're taking, you know, it's like a mixed metaphor. And on the one hand, there's the, um, you know, kind of dissonance about what a looks match would be and the ones that say, oh, that's all they want. But then uh, some of them speak in, in ways, very sort of critical ways about women. People talk about that. I'd say that's not so much of an issue, but um, I think one of the biggest issues for these guys is just that like a lot of these sort of theories that they adhere to, it's, it's selective, you know, and this idea that they would be happy with their looks match. And if they were living in a previous era, um, they would be able to get that, but now they can't cause she's dating hot guys. <laughs> That's kind of I'd like to know where this where this town is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and they've been, not, it's not New York City. 
uh, no. or Los Angeles. No, I mean, not not anywhere, I don't think. But they, no. they get this idea from Tinder data or, or rather dating apps in general about how choosy men and women are based on, you know, their swipe rights and swipe left. Right. And apparently for men to just swipe and like consider a woman, they are a little bit less discerning about that. So that's where they get this. Well, I thought men, my understanding was that men just swipe on everybody. And so then if they get a match, then they can start to like narrow it down from there. I feel like I read that somewhere. Yeah, that, that's probably true. And then I think also once they get the matches, they're, they pro- I believe it. I, I will buy this part that they are a little bit more um, maybe open-minded or less. Well, they can take, take, what, take, what, take what's in front of them. Yes, yeah. exactly. Okay. But okay. So I, I wonder, is, is there a female equivalent to this? Or if there, if there was a girl who had very low self-esteem, thought she was ugly. I mean, I'm thinking of like the Dawn Wiener character mm-hmm. in Welcome <laughs> to the Dollhouse. Okay. Yeah. Like she would be as close to maybe a female incel, just aesthetically, let's say. Yes. But she's also somebody who would be in a position if she, she could be really sexually taken advantage of yes. by men. Correct. And so I guess you could make the argument that even the quote unquote ugliest girl in the world could get sex. Yeah. And, you know, I think that there's, there's truth to that. I was challenged by an incel for one episode to create a profile that wouldn't get matches, try to make it as unappealing as possible. Oh. I, I couldn't do it. I got close though. You should have just said something. You know, it's like really needy things. Like yes, I'm looking, to, I'm looking to get married on the second date. Yeah, and, uh, I, I had her say, you know, everything wrong, and she still got a few. But <laughs> my uh, observation, my takeaway from the experiment that they didn't really, you know, get so much is that uh, the kinds of responses you get if you make yourself like a low tier woman or something like yes, you do get um, matches, but the the way they talk to you is just disgusting. And, you know, it's obvious that they just thought that I, this character was stupid and it was, it was wild. So yeah. What were the things that she said? I'm just curious. Like what were a few, what what did she do everything wrong? What are a couple of things? I had her uh, smoke, but not drink and drugs prefers not to say. I said that she would (laughs) take your fries, you know, don't mind if she's texting at dinner uh okay so she's just sort of like a she's just rude yeah she's not disgusting yeah no i didn't make her disgusting okay i mean i figured that wouldn't be okay to make it kind of realistic i mean here's here's the other thing about this too these men are so hung up on their looks mm-hmm. in a way that women have traditionally been yes. i mean it's almost like you know we, there's you know men are the new women whatever this can apply to like you know any number of different scenarios or issues but like like it's almost as if they have taken up the mantle of of self-scrutiny and self-hatred and Mm -hmm. body dysmorphia so the new york magazine story that we referred to at the beginning of this conversation was about these men who were so obsessed with their bone structure Mm -hmm. and and getting this this facial surgery that would like you know increase the the shape of their their jaw and the shape of their forehead and yeah. based on all these kinds of calculations that yes. again come from some kind of is this does this come from the kind of 
not Tinder metric, but like some evolutionary principle that women prefer men whose skull is a certain circumference. So there was yeah. a doctor, there's a surgeon in Indianapolis who specializes mm-hmm. in this kind of surgery. And he actually works on a lot of uh, transgender people, I yeah. think. So that's, and and so that was, it's not like he, you know, made his fortune doing incels. incels and in fact, right. he, he wasn't even familiar with the, the term, he said. Yeah. Um, but it's amazing. I mean, these guys are just, just like chipping away at their faces and doing mm-hmm. real damage to themselves. I yeah. mean, this one guy, he kept trying to fix something and, and re- and they're just addicted to surgery yep. in a way that we always have associated with women. Yeah. I mean, there are many elements of this that I would say are uh, ones that were previously typically more female problems. Uh, the scrutiny over the appearance, also kind of like the uh, talking about loneliness and being lonely. And they, they almost incels kind of romanticize a lot of things. They romanticize depression. Sometimes they romanticize a certain kind of woman, maybe a woman that they know that, that is a one itis for them. Um, there. Wait, uh, what's, what's one itis? What's that? One itis is, you know, the condition of having a crush on one person. Oh, like you should never do that. You yes. should diversify. Because it will okay. kill you, yes. And many of them, you know, cry about their one-itis a lot. Um, so a lot of them have this unrequited love. And uh, yeah, they, they kind of romanticize their loneliness and stuff that I enjoy, but I think would have been, I would have associated more with like teenage girls at one point. Yeah. And also, do they have a sort of romantic streak? Like they think that yeah. if they do find the perfect girl, it's going to be some montage sequence from a romantic comedy. They talk about their, they talk about that they have insight that, that they shouldn't believe that, that it's not real and that it just comes from movies and everything. But I think they do. A lot of them definitely um, romanticize some kind of woman or, or idea of one. So it's very immature. So even yes. so a lot of these guys are in their 20s or older. So basically it's a very sort of childish construct. Uh, it's yeah, a very a childish of vision of, of romance or love or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of them are, are, you know, young 20s and some yeah. in their teens and, and then some that are, you know, older up to middle age. And once they're over 30, they call themselves wizards. Okay, but they are acting like girls. I'll just say it. They are yeah. acting like little, they're acting like teenage girls. Mm-hmm. And, and what do you think that's about? Well, I think that, I mean, I don't know, like, to some degree, I'm like, what do you expect? Uh, they're treated like girls all their lives growing up. They're not really allowed to do anything that boys normally do to. You know, not allowed by by whom in schools or or anything. I, I mean, they're just. I don't want to say this does not apply to all of them. You know, it is a generalization, but I think it's just um, the generation that I would say is. I'm technically a millennial, but like people, I don't know that would be in their twenties now. Um, up to even around 30, I feel like it's a different generation to me. Uh, probably it isn't, but um, it, it's like they're kind of soft because 
I think that our society has become very soft with kids and careful and litigious. And, you know, so where are kids going to develop a bit of a thick skin? But not all boys, men from these generations are like that. Is it, it must be, it's a particular constellation of factors. Like they're a little nerdy, they're into gaming. And then there's this sort of, this, this kind of, you know, political culture, but does it have to do with this? They're being told that masculinity is toxic. Is it sort of in that neighborhood of discussion? I mean, I don't think that, I think sort of just very indirectly, I'm more thinking that, you know, this is a certain type of, of person that would have been nerdy, you know, is on the spectrum most likely. Um, and maybe doesn't have a great, uh, just doesn't have a great sort of peer or social, um, environment for whatever reason and experiences some bullying and stuff. Well, that still very much happens. And all of these kids were bullied. Um, and I just think that there's something about the way there is so much awareness of bullying and kids don't get physical with each other, but there's this very kind of cruel psychological torture right. that kids seem to do to each other. Um, and so I just think it's manifesting, you know, there's also, I feel like they're very repressed energetically. Like they have like an intellectual energy, sometimes even a creative energy or just kind of like a static energy. That's not, you know, been, channeled into anything. Um, mm. There's all this kind of pent up energy around them. So I just feel like some of the, the problems that um, people go through as kids manifest a little bit differently when they're older now, because they were handled differently. That's interesting. You have talked to men who are former incels who got out of it and went on to lead normal lives. How did they get out of it? There are a couple incels that I spoke to that were like public former incels, mm. as in there was like an ABC news piece about them or something. And because this, <laughs> yeah, it's, of course, yeah, that's what it, you know, it's all about in the end. Um, and because incels are very kind of thorough and diligent archivists of their own culture, then immediately that all goes up on their incel wiki and their site and everything. So it's all about this kind of attention. So I've had a couple of those on and they tell this story like they got out of movement, but I feel like it's a bit of a performance because yeah, that's like going to AA and bragging about how you were the worst drunk ever. Right. Yeah, yeah this is, exactly. Yeah, war stories. Yeah. War stories and like street cred and, you know, preening. Um, I know a bunch of incels that have actually ascended just in the time I've known them and told me about it. And they just rather unceremoniously end up getting a Tinder match or meeting someone or whatever and, you know, sleeping mm -hmm. with that person. And they're no longer an incel and they will, and this has happened, you know, I can count on two hands the number of times this has happened right before my eyes. <laughs> um, and ascending means that they got out of it. Ascending means they got a girlfriend. Yeah, or they're Basically. no longer celibate. They've, uh, right. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's just, you know, I, I think for most of them, it's just a phase and it's just a time in their life that they're struggling with this issue. And, um, most of the time, them 
finding this content and going online and talking about it with other people and venting isn't really terribly harmful. And I feel like for some of them, it even gives them a little bit of community and stuff when they need it and a chance to um, vent and get things off their chest. There was a shooting last month in the UK, Jake Davison. You wrote a piece about this for the publication Unheard. And that was a situation where the incel uh, label was slapped onto it right away? Yeah. Um, just, you know, probably an hour from the time that it was made the first headlines. Um, journalists, I believe, initially had sort of seized on his social media and found that he um, was possibly an incel. You know, the headlines, some of them said that he was some of them just drew some kind of connection. And that was pretty much the only headline about the case for the next 48 hours was this incel thing. Dama, this has been incredibly fascinating. This is exactly the kind of conversation about this I was hoping to have. Um, my, my last question, it might be a little bit surprising. I want to ask you about a sponsor that you have on your podcast. Oh, One of your sponsors is a company that makes sex dolls or life-size dolls. Basically companion robots, yes. Yes. So this this is a subject that I want to have like a whole other conversation about with with somebody because I find this amazing and I find this whole idea of sort of AI relationships, AI sexual encounters like it seems to me it's so easy to demonize it and to mock it, but it, it might have real uses. It might really, really curb impulses and behaviors that should not be imposed upon other human beings. And I'm wondering what you make of all of it really um, quickly, just yeah, briefly. I, I mean, it's obviously, you know, I guess I'm optimistic about it as it is a sponsor. Uh, it's very strange to me. I can't imagine that being uh, something that would actually, you know, fulfill any of the needs that one can fulfill with companionship. But there is apparently, and I, I've read a little bit of it, um, some some science to back it up that certain, you know, hormones are more regulated and certain neurotransmitters, like there's less stress. And so it does these things. And I guess some people might like it. And if they do, then good for them. I remember there was a segment of John Ronson's podcast, The Butterfly Effect. Yeah. There was a remarkable episode about um, one of these sex doll companies and the different kinds of people that order these custom-made life-size dolls. And so many people had different reasons for it. And one guy in particular, I think, talked about ordering one for his elderly father who had dementia. And mm. I might be misremembering this slightly, but the gist was that the father was just sitting there alone in the house and missing his wife who had mm. passed away. And the doll was to be there to be designed to look like the wife. So he would just have somebody to talk to. Mm. It was, it was profound. Yeah. And you really, it, it really forces you to just think about, loneliness and the prevalence of it 
and all the different ways that loneliness manifests. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's all of these stories underneath all of the sort of, you know, like you said, the schadenfreude or just the, the shock and the strange kind of tawdry appeal is really usually underneath that. The stories are pretty heartbreaking. I find with, with incels and with people that might need sex dolls or just really loneliness is, I think it's something that everybody probably experiences, um, you know, and that's why sometimes I find it uh, odd that people are so unwilling to empathize with incels or even really hear anything about them, because I do think that everyone can relate to feelings of loneliness and rejection. Well, I think the podcast is just so fascinating and you do such a good job of talking with these people in a really frank and honest way, but also a compassionate way. And you just handle the subject in a way that it's never handled um, in the media, the mainstream media, as they say, we say too often, but alas. Um, so I just want to thank you for doing it. And I really appreciate your coming on the show to to talk about this. Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it was it was definitely a pleasure. And um, yeah. That was my interview with Nama Cates. You can find her podcast, Incel, wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is the unspeakable podcast. If you are hearing ads, that means you are not yet a patron of this show. You can fix that right now by going to patreon.com slash the unspeakable and supporting the show at any level. You get lots of perks, including an invitation to a patrons only listener hangout on September 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern time. I'm sure we'll talk about this episode. No doubt we'll also talk about my recent conversations with Chelsea Handler and Sam Harris. So join up and join us or keep hearing ads. No judgment. I'll be back next week with another super nuanced guest. See you next time. <laughs>